Amen. I heard one of our interns might dress up as Willy Wonka, so you might be in for a treat if you come to that. Anyway, it is not who you'd expect, so it'll be fun. Anyways, welcome back to Chi Alpha. I hope your first week of classes have gone well and that you're excited for this upcoming semester. I know you might be feeling the drain of classes already, but you're in luck. you got 14 more weeks left. Whether it be the best 14 weeks of your life, amen and amen. If this is your first time with us, I'd love to say welcome. We're so glad that you're here. My name is Derek, and I would love the opportunity to meet you after service and introduce myself. Tonight, we're going to continue our sermon series entitled Formed. We're starting this year examining how we are deeply formed by the world and the people around us. Our upbringing, our culture, our friends, they're all constantly shaping us into who we're becoming. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, who are we being formed into? And more specifically, are we being formed into the person we want to be? Are we becoming the person that we desire? If you're a Jesus follower, you have to ask yourself, are you being formed to look more and more like Jesus every day or to look more like the world around you? Who is your biggest influence? Is it Jesus? Is it social media, your friends, your parents? What's forming you? And tonight we're going to look at something called the woes of Jesus. It's in this part of the book of Matthew where Jesus prescribes woes to the Pharisees. The book of Matthew just tells us the story of Jesus' life here on earth. And during Jesus' life, the Pharisees, they were the religious elites. They were top dogs in the religious world. And what Jesus is doing in this part of the scripture is he's actually renouncing them, which means he's basically telling his followers, we do not want to be like the religious leaders of our time. He's saying what they're doing is wrong. Woe is them. It says this in Matthew 23, verses 25 through 28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, with an exclamation point. That's never good in the Bible. There's an exclamation point. Anyways, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. What a joyful message this morning, or not this morning, this evening. Let's pray about it. Jesus, we love you. God, thank you for giving us this place to come and gather, and I pray that you will speak to us tonight, Jesus. Just open our hearts to what you want us to hear tonight. We love you so much. Amen. Before my wife Taylor and I bought our house, we had looked at a ton of houses, like legit 40 plus houses. Our realtor told us that we looked at more houses than anyone should ever sold a house to before. It might be because I'm kind of a particular person, but that's besides the point. So we're getting kind of sick and tired of this search, and this house pops up on the market, and it seems perfect. It's got a great location, it's a good size, and even had a jacuzzi. I'm like, oh, that could be fun. You're all of you're a weirdo. Anyways, so we get to the house, and it looks great on the outside. We come in, and it starts to look a little strange. Like, the living room's kind of weird, and something we noticed about the house is like a circle. So it's like the living room, and then the kitchen, and then the bedroom, and then the... It's kind of weird. It's like a circle, kind of like Hunger Games 2 in that map. But anyways, I'll keep going. You might not understand that reference. So we keep walking through the circle. The living room's all right. We get to the kitchen. It's okay. The bedroom's fine. But then we come to the bathroom. And see, the bathroom is obviously where this jacuzzi tub was, and so that was kind of cool. But see, you go, and you sit down, on the toilet, and you look up, and there's a huge window. The whole wall is covered with a sliding glass door. So 
Both ways, everyone can see what's going on. It's a full-on peep show from the bathroom. And that seemed uncomfortable for me. Because, like, I don't want to be sitting there going to the bathroom and then, like, have someone pop up. Oh, hey, how's it going, neighbor? Nice to see you. Like, that just seems uncomfortable to me. So I was like, well, this house might not be the one. The jacuzzi, someone could watch you doing it. And it just, eh, not the right house for us. And also, the bathroom took up legit a third of the house. So we just was like, this is probably not the house for us. The outside of the house is awesome. But once we got inside and saw reality, we realized we needed to continue looking. Have you ever had an experience like this? Hopefully not with the bathroom, but where something seemed perfect on the outside, but once you got to see the inside of it, you were disappointed. Maybe this happened when you were dating someone. When you first met them, you thought they were perfect. They texted you so well. They used the right amount of emojis. It wasn't too much where it was like uncomfortable. It wasn't too little, so you felt like they didn't like you very much. It was a perfect amount, which is like probably three. I don't know. I don't ever use them. I just use periods. But anyways... In the first couple dates you go on, they're great, they buy, you're feeling good. But then once you get to know the real them, you realize maybe they're just not quite it. They weren't who you thought they were. See, this very exact thing actually happened to a pretty good friend of mine when I was growing up. Her name was Carly, and she thought she was dating the baddest guy in town. He had anger issues, and she liked that, like punched holes in walls. He could ride a motorcycle. She thought she was dating Mr. Macho until she went on the inside. Specifically, when she went to the inside of his bedroom. Instead of telling you, let's just watch, shall we? Nice meeting you. You too. Your mom's nice. Yeah, she's all right. She's not talking about pudding. <laughs> so, this is your room. Uh-huh. You like it? Yeah, it's just like I pictured it. I mean, not that I've ever, like, stayed awake at night picturing what your room looks like. But okay, I have. Is that bad? <laughs> you cracked me up. Yeah, well... Professional web comedian. <laughs> What's that hole? Ah, uh, I got mad at my friend Cato and punched the wall. Ooh, you're so bad. Oh, I'm not that bad. Are too. <laughs> Don't watch this part. Close your eyes. I'm gonna put on some music. Music works. <laughs> Those? On the shelf there? Uh-huh. Those are peewee babies. <laughs> I thought those were peewee babies. Yeah. Do you have some? I used to. <laughs> so, whose are these? Mine? <laughs> Pretty sweet, huh? That's nothing. I have 223 more in the closet. We're not going to keep watching iCarly. I think the bigger problem might be when I was writing this sermon, the first thing that came to mind as an illustration was iCarly. Now that I'm processing it, but Joel, one of our interns, was really pumped. He's like, I love that show. He said he watched it last night. So that's not a joke. Lilu, his wife's like, yes, we did, okay? So anyways, I might be weird, but Joel is weirder. So amen and amen. On the outside, this guy was all tough, but then he collected strange-looking stuff to animals, right? We hate when this happens, so it's hopefully not like exactly like that. But when we build up this picture of something, we expect something, but then we find out what's really going on, and we are disappointed. 
This happens with more than just romantic partners, though. We build up our major, a new job, a new friend, a new phone. On the outside, these things seem perfect. But then when we, once we get to the inside, once we start actually taking those classes, once we actually start going to work, once we start getting to know the friend deeper, we become disappointed when the inside doesn't match the outside. And I think this goes deeper, though. I think if we're honest with ourselves, our real deep fear is not that other things are better on the outside than the inside, but that we are better on the outside than the inside. I think we fear becoming a fraud. We don't want our outside and inside to not match up. We want to be authentic, but we fear that we're not. See, we live in a very strange time. We live in a world where we're sandwiched between two realities. We live in a generation that craves the authentic. We don't want fake, we want real. We don't want fake Birkenstocks. We wanna pay extra money for the real thing. I don't know why, but I get made fun of for my fake Birkenstocks. So anyways, uh, Forrest Estrom is one of our students. He almost didn't come to my small group as a freshman because I wore fake Birkenstocks. But anyways, it's fine. This generation doesn't want fluff. And I think this comes from not being able to trust authority. Like the rise of fake news has driven our generation to crave realness. This is why Be Real has become so popular. We want to see what's really going on in life. So this is one side of the coin. But at the same time, we also feel this need to appear like we have it all together because of social media. We feel the need to craft the perfect story, take the perfect shot, have the right lighting. I feel like I see people all the time like taking four hours to take a picture of themselves, and they want to appear like they have it all good. This is why on Be Real, we still pose, we retake the picture, and make sure we still look good. The real part of Be Real died like a week in, if you didn't notice. I'm like, oh, they're not in the toilet anymore, and they're taking their Be Real picture. We were over the authentic and wanted to look good again. We all know who we're talking about, right? The person who takes their B-Real like four hours late and they're like looking all good. We all know that, right? Actually, I don't. I don't have a B-Real, so I'm really fake, I guess. I'm not even real enough to get B-Real. But we want the authentic, but then we also want to look like we have it all together, which is a very complicated combination in my opinion. This desire to put on a good show is not new to the 21st century, though. The poll has been on humanity since the beginning of time. If we look back to Jesus' day, it's clear that the Pharisees or the religious people, they had the same value system. They wanted to appear righteous. They created extra laws for people to follow outside of the laws of God to really assure they're righteous and looked apart. And when these people did things for God, they wanted everyone to know about it. They'd pray loud for all they hear. When they would, were generous and they'd give it to the poor, they'd like make a show of it and to make themselves look good. When they caught other people sinning, they'd make it a big deal so everyone knew, hey, these are the sinners and I am religiously pure. It says this in Luke 20, 46 about the scribes and Pharisees. Beware of the scribes or the Pharisees who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. So yes, these religious leaders technically followed the law. The religious leaders of Jesus' time had holy behavior, but their motivation was not to please God. Their motivation was to please man. The outside was clean, but the inside was full of filth. Their actions were holy, but their hearts were hard. And one part of this religious law during this time was that if you came into contact with something dead, you became ceremonially unclean. What that meant is for seven days, you had to go through a ritual of like cleansing and you couldn't have contact with anyone else if you were unclean. So if they touched something dead, they became ceremonially unclean and had to be isolated and abstained from religious activities. So that's one part of the law. Another part of the law I want you to kind of put in your head is this idea called the Passover. The Passover was just a big celebration where Jewish people, or that's like the religion that Jesus and his people were, that was their heritage. These people would come to Jerusalem, the holy city, and they'd all come together and worship God. 
It's kind of like Winter Conference we had a couple weeks ago when Chi Alpha from across the area comes together to worship and celebrate. So they can't come into contact with the dead, and they're coming together to party together. And so when they were on this journey to Jerusalem, they had a problem. They risked accidentally stepping on ground where a dead person was buried. Because it wasn't like today where there's full cemeteries and it's very obvious where they were. No, they just kind of bury them. So then if they accidentally stepped on it, like, crud, someone's dead here, because they eventually see it, then they become unclean, and they can't go to the big party. So for seven days, they have to go through this cleansing ceremony. They've walked all this way for nothing. So what they would do to make sure that they wouldn't accidentally come into contact with someone or something that's dead is they would do what's called whitewashing the tombs. That just meant they cleaned them and they made them very bright so they'd stand out. So you wouldn't accidentally step because if the tomb was gross and dirty and blended in, you might accidentally step on it. But if it's whitewashed, clean, and beautiful, you're not going to step on it. So they'd whitewash these tombs so that people would avoid them and they wouldn't accidentally come into contact with the dead. So this process actually made these whitewashed tombs one of the most beautiful sites in all of Jerusalem. People would say it's the best site in the city. What Jesus is saying when he calls the religious leaders whitewashed tombs in the passage we read is he's saying, hey, you look beautiful on the outside. You're bright, you're shining, you're full of life. But deep down, what's underneath those tombs is dead. And he's saying your life is dead on the inside just like the tombs. What he's saying is our outward actions do not matter if inside we're full of life, void of life and have a corrupt heart. I want you to look at a, this picture. Look at that thing. That is so beautiful. People will travel from miles to come look at this. This is one of the most beautiful tombs in all of the world. But you want to know what's inside of that? A dead, decayed body. And I had a picture of one, but I decided that might be too weird, so we're not going to show that. But Jesus is telling us, and you can go off that picture. Jesus is telling us it's all about the inside. It's about the inside. The Pharisees... They prioritized image management. They wanted to appear like they were righteous. And Jesus is saying our image does not matter. It's about the inside. It doesn't matter if our Instagram followers think we love Jesus and have a devotional life because we post pictures of Bible verses with a coffee cup and us reading the Bible if the reality is we're not intimate with God. It doesn't matter if your small group thinks you're the perfect Christian if you're deep down hiding some sin. Our image does not count for anything in the kingdom of God. It's all about the heart. It's about the inside. It's clear all throughout the Bible that God has always cared more about what's inside of us rather than our outward appearance. If you go back to the Old Testament, God had his chosen people, and he had a king of his people. And this king looked like the perfect king. He was tall, handsome, he was good in battle, but he gets a hard heart, and he stops prioritizing God. So God decides, you're out, and time to go find the next king. So he sends Samuel God sends Samuel to go find this next king. Samuel was a priest and a prophet, like a religious leader of this time. And he says, Samuel, go find the next king. And he tells him, the next king is a son of Jesse. So Samuel goes over to Jesse's house. He knocks on the door. Jesse opens up like, what's up? Why are you here? He said, hey, man, I got good news. The next king of Israel, the next king of our people is one of your kids. And so I bet Samuel gets a little pumped. He's like, or not Samuel, Jesse gets pumped. So he's like, all right, I'm about to put on a show for you, Samuel, to show off my boys. I kind of imagine it like a wrestling announcer. This is how I imagine Jesse. All right, Samuel, you are in for a treat. Coming in at six foot five, 280 pounds of pure muscle. This man can bench press 400 pounds, and he's handsome as all get out, is my son, Eliab. And like the crowd goes wild. 
because he's the perfect king. Samuel responds, nah, he's not it. Do you have another one? He's like, all right, standing six foot four, 220 pounds with the most handsome face, the biggest arms, top tier charisma, and boy, is he confident. Is my next son, Abnadab. And the crowd goes wild again. <sighs> Samuel's like, nah, man, that's not it. I'm unimpressed. The next one is like, all right, coming in at five foot 10, 190 pounds, but he's got a nice smile. Again, nope, he's not it. One by one, Jesse presents his sons, the ones that are ripped and they seem like the perfect king. And he goes through all of them and Samuel's like, nope, nope, nope. And he gets through them. And Samuel's like, do you have anyone else? And Jesse's like, well, I guess there's the shepherd kid that I sent away. I thought he had no shot, so I didn't even invite him to come. Samuel's like, go get the boy. Samuel goes and gets David. And as soon as Samuel sees David, he's like, that's our king. That's God's anointed. David goes on to be the person to kill Goliath. David goes on to become the greatest king in all of Israel's history. So why David? See, on the outside, David didn't look like much. He was, tall, or he was small and scrawny, and he looked nothing like a king. His job was hanging out with sheep. But in 1 Samuel 16, 17, it tells us why God rejects Jesse's other sons for David. It says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I've rejected him. That's the other king, other sons. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. He looks at the inside. The Lord knew that while these other sons were off pursuing their own glory, David was in the middle of a pasture caring for sheep, loving them, protecting them. He literally kills lions and bears with his bare hands to fight for his sheep. And at the same time as he's the perfect shepherd, he's also writing songs to God about his love for God. His heart cared about what God's heart cared about. It later says that David was a man after God's own heart. It's about the inside. So what does it look like to focus more on the inside than the outside? Today, this looks like focusing on this idea of heart transformation over behavior modification. Behavior modification is when we focus on doing the right things for God. When we try to do the right things before becoming the right person. This looks like spending all of our time avoiding outward sin rather than examining our own heart and motivations. And hear me, before I jump in, we do want to run from sin. Sinning is not just the breaking of some impersonal law that God doesn't care about. No, when we sin, we are breaking the personal heart of God. Because when we sin, what we're doing is we're telling God, we don't think you're smarter than me. Because sinning is going against God's design of the universe. So when we sin, we're saying, God, I think I'm smarter than you, which shows we don't trust God, which breaks his heart because he wants his kids to trust him. So as Jesus followers, we are to run from sin, but that cannot be our only focus. If that's our main focus, we're missing the point. That's us cleaning the outside of the cup when the inside of the cup is more important to God. God wants our hearts to be transformed. He wants heart transformation, not just our behavior to get better. What this means is Jesus doesn't want you just to run from sin. He wants you to be loving. He wants you to be kind, to trust him, to have pure motives, to be full of mercy. He wants you to have a soft heart. Jesus cares about more than us just not watching porn or going out and partying. Jesus wants your heart. Jesus knows that if we get the inside right, the outside, our actions, our behaviors, they'll take care of themselves. If we have a pure heart, we'll run from sin and we'll have pure behaviors. This all makes sense, right? It makes sense to focus on the inside as we examine the character of God, but time and time again, we just try to fix our behaviors without getting, doing the deep work of heart transformation. So why? Well, I think first of all, we do this because it's easier to clean the outside than the inside. It's easier to just stop drinking and partying 
than it is to stop worrying and completely trusting God with everything. It's easier to stop watching porn than to stop having lustful, sinful thoughts in your mind. It's easier to be nice to people to their faces and serve them and do kind actions than it is to release bitterness towards them and to truly forgive people in our hearts. It's easier to have merciful actions than a merciful heart in my experience. And this really captures what it looks like to follow Jesus as a whole. It's easier to just go to church, come to Chi Alpha, raise your hands and worship, come to small group, answer the questions. It's easier to do those things than to actually do the work of becoming deeply formed as a follower of Jesus, which means giving Jesus access to our whole lives, to let him be our king, to be obedient, to work towards a pure and kind heart, to spend time with him daily, to do the hard work of developing a devotional life. The outside, just coming here and raising your hands is relatively easy. The inside, that's hard. But it's all about the inside. See, folks on the outside, it's not only easier. It's also more immediately rewarding. What this means is when we clean up our outside, which again just means getting right behavior, looking like a Christian, people notice. Let's just be honest about it. We start doing the right things. We can get encouragement. Our small group leader's like, heck yeah, you're doing great. Way to not go to Sharky's this weekend. Come on. And our pastors are excited. We look the part. Everything feels good. I get it. It's rewarding to have people notice when we are being more like Jesus. But fixing the outward appearance pleases man. Fixing our inward heart pleases God. Only God sees when our insides are getting cleaner. Like when we're getting over bitterness, no one knows that usually. Just like on the inside, yay, God knows I'm not bitter anymore. Congrats. No lollipops in the kingdom for that one. But when we're like, I've read the Bible 10 days in a row, our small group leaders are going to like dab us up. I'm like, what's up, bro? You got this. You are the king of following Jesus. And it's exciting. And I want us to celebrate those things. Hear me. It's not bad to celebrate when we start to look more like Jesus. I want that in our lives. But with that, we need to recognize that what's going on inside is what matters most. So as we're talking about being formed into the image of Jesus, I think it's easy to be honest that we think of a mature follower of Jesus. Like, these are the super Christians. They know the Bible really well. They know all the books. They can, like, do the little songs from when they're a kid. They look like a good Christian. They have the right outward actions. They wear those Jesus shirts that make me feel inferior because I don't own them. It says, like, Jesus died for you, son. But in actuality, that's not true formation. True formation is when our hearts start to look more like Jesus, when we start to spend time with God outside of these events. It's when our insides are formed to purity and kindness and love. And we care more about heart transformation than behavior modification. For example... If someone's trying to lose weight, they can sign up for all the right classes. They can buy workout clothes. They can study what diet to eat and what exercises to do. They can buy the gym membership. But until they start to diet and exercise, it's not going to change much. It doesn't matter if they know how to lose weight. if They don't actually do the work to lose weight. So it doesn't matter how much we know about God until we go through the process of actually getting to know God and to care about the things that he cares about. Just going to the gym will not lead you to losing weight. You just go there and sit on a bench and then leave. Just like coming to Chi Alpha, it's not going to force your heart to change. Hear me, it's much easier to be healthy when you're at a gym than when you're at McDonald's. Just like it's easier to probably be obedient to Jesus on Tuesday nights here than it is on the hill. So keep coming to things. But just coming won't be bad or won't be enough, right? So it's not like throw the baby out of the bathroom and run around and follow Jesus on my own. No, you should be in community and be in these places, but it's not enough to form you into the image of God. We have to truly be open to our hearts being changed. And see, just like the Pharisees, we face this huge temptation to focus on outward appearance. And when we do that, sometimes the inside of the cup gets a little dirty. 
What happens when this happens, though? What happens when our outside lives and our inside lives don't match? Well, hypocrisy. We become hypocrites. See, hypocrisy is the gap between what we show and what we do. Hypocrisy is the gap between what we show and what we do. Titus 1.16 puts it this way, and then she'll put it back up after this. But it says, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Being a hypocrite is when our appearance and our actions don't match up. This looks like when we come to Chi Alpha and we put on a good show, but when we go home, we're a very different person. We act like a good Christian to our Christian friends, but within our other friends, we party, drink, and do what they're doing. It looks like when we love Jesus in Cedar Falls, but he's an afterthought in our hometown. We can't just look the part of a Christian. We need to actually love Jesus. When we get to eternity... Jesus is not going to ask you, did everyone around you think you loved me? He was going to ask you, did you love me? In hypocrisy, it infuriates Jesus. It's one of the things that makes him angry. It takes a lot, but he gets there sometimes. He hates when we put up a mask and try to act like we have it all together. Because Jesus just wants us to be real. Jesus wants us to be honest about where we're at because Jesus doesn't really care about our image. He cares about our hearts. And let's just be honest for a second. Christians, a lot of time, are criticized as hypocrites. We said, you don't practice what you preach. People call Christians judgmental, right? And this grieves the heart of Jesus. Sometimes this is just the world being angry because we're calling out sin. And love is not tolerance. And sometimes our world says having a moral compass or believing in right and wrong is not allowed. But that's, that's not correct. It's God honoring to say some things are sinful and some things are not. So that does happen sometimes. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, there's usually some truth in the claim of hypocrisy. At least I know in my own heart, Sometimes I'm a hypocrite. I'll be honest with you. Maybe you guys are perfect, but sometimes what I show and what I do don't always match up. My heart often strays from what Jesus asks of me. I can fall into this, but Jesus wants us to be a people who our appearance and our actions line up. And how we do this is by being honest, being real about what we struggle with. We don't need to put on a show for anyone. You never need to put on a mask here in Chi Alpha. Unless you have COVID, then you have to put on a mask. CDC tells you to. But you know, haha, no one laughed at that. I thought it'd be funny. I didn't even put it in the notes. It's on the spot. Those are always the worst jokes. But anyways, you don't have to put on a mask. You can be yourself here. But something I love about this is when Jesus is pronouncing woes to the Pharisees or saying like, this is bad. This is what he, he doesn't say. Woe is the imperfect person. Never says that. Jesus doesn't say, woe is the sinner. He doesn't say, woe to the drunkard. Woe to the cusser who lets one slip when they're playing a game. No, he doesn't say, woe to the speeder. You go 70 miles an hour in a 65. That's me too. I'm confessing my sins. Anyways, no. Even though we don't want to sin, those things are wrong. Like, please don't be dropping F-bombs in the middle of laying auditorium. I'd rather you not. But he doesn't say, woe to the sinner. Jesus says, woe to the hypocrite. Jesus says, woe to the person with the bad heart. Jesus says, woe to the person who is imperfect but acts like they're perfect, not to the person who's imperfect. See, it's not about just our actions. It's about what we appear. If we put on a performance, that's when Jesus renounces us. Jesus wants us to have a heart that recognizes our own sin, that recognizes our own brokenness, so much so that we could never judge anyone else. I'm so messed up. How dare I look down on other people? I've got my own sin to worry about. I don't need to worry about your sin, right? Being a hypocrite hurts the heart of God. See, Jesus doesn't care if we wear a t-shirt that says Jesus loves you if you're not at the same time being loving to the person who's reading your shirt. He doesn't care about what's on your shirt. He cares about what's in your heart. 
We need to love people because it's about the inside. It's all about the heart. A heart that runs from hypocrisy and runs to the grace of Jesus. And believe me, I understand this temptation to be a hypocrite. I'm not judging you for being hypocritical. That would be very hypocritical. See, I remember one time when I was in middle school, and this is a really TMI story, so you just got to roll with me a little bit. I was in middle school, and my friends and people I was on the football team, they're all talking about how they watched porn together. I, I know it's weird. Just keep rolling with me. And they weren't in a team... They weren't into like image management. I really appreciate. They were a real bunch of like, hey, I'm, this is what I'm struggling, man. I've got porn issues. I'm in seventh grade and it happens. So they were honest about themselves and they were raw with people. I loved that about them. Anyways, I remember when they were being honest with each other and they're talking about it. And I'm over there just judging them so hard. I'm like, you guys, how are they talking? They're so dirty. And I'd like to, I, I tell them I would never do something. That's degrading to people. How dare you, you filthy sinners? I was doing it too. I was just lying about it. That's a hypocrite if you've ever seen one. Come on, I hate seventh grade Derek, but we love him. Talk about a hypocrite. I'd wear like that Toby Mac, Jesus is my rock star t-shirt and then judge everyone. That's not the heart of Jesus. So I get it. It's easy to fall into this trap and to have a gap between what we show and what we do and judge other people. But Jesus is calling us higher. Jesus is calling us to worry about the sin inside of our own cups rather than the dirty outsides of other people's cups. So how do we do it? You're like, awesome, now I feel bad about myself. Thank you, and I feel weird that you're talking about your middle school porn. Anyways, how do we do this? Hey, in a couple weeks, we're starting the dating series, so I'm gonna talk about sex for four weeks straight. It's about to be awesome. It's my favorite month of the year. Anyways, we'll get there. So how do we rid ourselves of hypocrisy? How do we clean the inside of our cup? Well, we gotta get messy. I want you to do me a favor. Raise your hand, and don't talk, because raise your hand if you walk around a cemetery for fun before or like on Halloween or with your friends, you've ever done that. Look around, avoid these people at all costs. These are the creepy ones of the group. I'm just kidding, we love them. But seriously, we should probably pray for you. Stand up, come, I'm just kidding, we don't need to do that. They're just a little creepy. Anyways, actually, cemeteries can be quite peaceful. Unlike this, you guys are all like, zip it. We wanna be like a cemetery in here. Anyways, no, we don't, that was bad. Cemeteries are peaceful. Cemeteries are a beautiful place when you can be in nature. There's really serenity in them. Life's pretty easy in a cemetery. Everyone's pretty chill, right? No one's like arguing with someone in a cemetery. Walking around a cemetery is an easy way to find solace. But this serenity and order, this comes at a cost. Everything's dead. That peace comes at the cost of life. See, the only reason it's possible for a cemetery to be so peaceful is because it's void of life. I want you to counter this with a hospital. Hospitals are full of chaos. There's crisis, there's sadness, trauma. There's so much emotion. Hospitals are anything but quiet. People are weeping. They're feeling their emotions. They're being raw with people. And in the middle of hospitals, we find healing and hope. People are finding life and restoration in the middle of a hospital. People are being revived in hospitals. Hospitals are messy, but at least they're not dead. We need to get messy. We need to be honest about where we're at. We need to show our real self. No one puts up a front in a hospital. They're like, I'm kind of struggling with this, but it's really okay, I promise. No, they're like, hey, bro, I'm about to die. Fix me, please. That's how hospitals work. We don't put on a mask or fake it. There's no reason to put up on a front because you want your pain to get better. 
This is how we are called to be with God in our community. Honest about our shortcomings. No act, no front, just honest about where we're at. And we invite God and our friends into our lives to help us find healing and clean up our lives because we want to get better. We got to get messy. We got to let people into the mess of our lives. And this starts with being honest with ourselves. We need to recognize that our value is not in our performance. See, you and I, we have flaws. And that's okay. God still loves you. We can't keep hiding and shoving our flaws down to act like they're not there because then we can't work on them. You can't clean the inside of the cup if you just like put newspaper over and act like it's not there. No, we need to bring our flaws out to the earth so we can clean the inside of our hearts. We need to understand our brokenness, contemplate our motivations, and come to know our false self like we talked about last week. And after we're honest with ourselves about our shortcomings, we need to be honest with the people around us in our community. We need to stop putting on a mask of who we want to be and instead let people know the real you. We can be vulnerable with each other, which means we don't just wait for people to ask us about our sin struggles. We just tell people about what's really going on inside. We need to be vocal and forthright about what's happening inside our hearts. As we let people in and they get to know the real us, then and only then can we start to be formed into the image of Jesus. Jesus is not really interested in forming the fake version of you that you want to put on Instagram. Jesus wants to form the real version of you that stays up late at night worrying about things. That's the, that's the you that Jesus cares about. Vulnerability and confession are so critical to be formed. Your small group can only help you grow if you're honest with them. Your small group should probably know everything about you. You have nothing to hide because they're gonna love you no matter what and help you be formed like Jesus. Maybe your small group is just waiting for someone to like jump off the deep end and be bold enough to be real with the rest of the group and then your small group will start experiencing depth. And the reason we can be vulnerable, oh, it's the beauty of Jesus. See, so while Jesus had zero tolerance for hypocrites, he has unlimited grace for sinners. The moment you confess your sin, you're forgiven and set free. So we have nothing to prove because our value comes from God alone and God, well, he's full of grace. You have nothing to fear if you've got nothing to hide. If you let people into your mess, Jesus will be quick to forgive you and make you clean. I think some of us need to hear this tonight. Jesus is not looking to punish you. Jesus' goal and aim is to forgive you. He doesn't want to punish you for your past mistakes. He wants to help you clean up the inside so it can be better going forward. No reason to be scared of being honest. And maybe you're here tonight and you're thinking, well, you don't really know what I've done. Maybe you think my small group would never view me the same if they knew everything. I understand that thinking because I've struggled with it as well. Back in my freshman year of college, I started dating my now wife, Taylor, and at that time, my older brother had my job. He was the Chi Alpha director. Talk about have a fun pastor, your older brother. And I felt pressure to be the perfect Christian and to be the perfect Chi Alpha student because big brother was in charge. And as the year progressed, Taylor and I started crossing sexual boundaries. And see, I knew in my heart that the best way to see breakthrough and forgiveness was to confess those sins and seek accountability. I knew that would help me overcome the issue. But I didn't think I could do it because everyone's gonna view us differently. I was the pastor's brother. I had an image to protect, so I protected the image. We were dishonest. We weren't open with anyone about our struggles. And then we got married, which obviously cleaned the outside of the cup. It fixed the sin issue, but the inside of the cup was still very, very dirty. See, this dishonesty in my heart and this need to protect my image, it ate at me deeply. 
We weren't doing the sin anymore. We were married. The behavior was fixed, but it didn't matter. I still felt dirty and broken. See, I was leading a small group at the time and I was asking my small group, will you be open? Will you be vulnerable? But I wasn't. See, I was a hypocrite. And that lasted for a bit until eventually I couldn't take it anymore. And I walked into my brother's office and I confessed all my sin to him. And he responded with so much grace and mercy. And in an instant, I felt more free than I have in my entire life. See, it is much better to be an honest sinner than a lying hypocrite. The beauty of Jesus is Jesus, he already knows all your junk. The stuff we're trying to fake, he knows what's going on. And yet he still loves you. And Jesus' opinion of you, it matters a whole lot more than anyone else's opinion of you. No one else is getting you to spend eternity with God. Only Jesus can do that. So if Jesus knows everything about you and still likes you and loves you, no, not just loves you, but likes you and loves you, if Jesus knows it all and still loves you, then who cares what anyone else thinks? Because the God of the universe is still on your team. No one else's opinion really quite matters that much. See, you've got nothing to fear if you've got nothing to hide. So we are called to run from hypocrisy through being vulnerable, through thinking deeply about our hearts. We can't just settle for surface level thinking. We need to get deep and nitty gritty, not just focus on our actions or behavior modification, but we need to see our hearts transformed to the image of God. We want to be formed to be like Jesus. And as we do this, as we are open and honest, things will get messy. But as life gets messy, we will find freedom. And as we lose the weight, oh, and it's very, very heavy, the weight of putting on a show this weight of hiding things or performing, as we take that weight off, we feel so free because we're free to be the son or daughter of Jesus. And it feels amazing when you've got nothing to hide. I promise you, that feeling in your gut, it goes away. See, it's all about the inside. Although it feels like we need to protect the inside or the outside, Jesus doesn't really care about the outside of our cups as much. He wants to worry about the inside. So it's easy to look at this gap between what we show and what we do and think, well, I need to fix this gap and fill it. So we think the only way that I can fill this gap is through gritting my teeth and I need to perform better. I need to be the perfect Christian just like I act like and talk like. I need to do it. But the reality is we're not good enough to fill that gap. Only Jesus can fill the gap. Only through the act of Jesus dying on a cross to pay for our sins, only then can we fill the gap. And this is the beauty of our King Jesus, that even though we do not deserve grace, hear me, you and I do not, we don't deserve grace. We did not earn it. Even though we don't deserve it, we get to receive it anyways. Even though our insides can be full of filth, Jesus is willing to get dirty enough to clean us up. Jesus doesn't care about how dirty we are. He just wants to get you clean. And he did that when he died on the cross for you and me, to pay for our sins. So no longer do we need to put on a mask. Instead, we just get to pursue King Jesus. And that is how we become formed to be like God. So maybe you're here tonight and you've actually never let Jesus clean you up. You've never let Jesus make you whole. Jesus is asking you, will you let him be your Lord? Jesus wants to pay for your sins, but he's not gonna force it upon you. He's asking you tonight to accept that payment, to accept his work on the cross and then you'll be instantly forgiven and set free. And I think others of us tonight, maybe when you hear this talk, you feel guilty. 
And maybe we're guilty of focusing too much on the outside, on our appearance of looking the part. And when we hear this talk, we start to feel uneasy about the inside. But there's hope. See, we can do the deep work of formation and we can get our hearts right before God. This looks like we need to die to the idol of perfection. You do not need to be perfect for God to love you. You do not need to perform for God to love you. He loves you where you're at, but he wants to help you get better. And so we need to focus on our inside. We need to stop worrying about what everyone else thinks about us, but instead worry about what God alone thinks of us. Jesus is asking you, will you please quit performing for me? He's saying, will you please quit being judgmental? Will you quit being a Christian on the outside, but something entirely different on the inside? He wants the real you so then he can form the real you. And as we let Jesus into our hearts, and as we start to focus on cleaning up the inside of our cups, we will no longer be a whitewashed tomb. We will no longer be just beautiful on the outside, but dead on the inside. Jesus is not here just to make bad people good. No, Jesus wants to make dead people come to life. When we do this, we will be full of life. When we are open and messy and we get to drop the big boulder of acting like we have it all together, when we get to throw that thing off, it's the most freeing feeling in the world. Our campus, our campus is not looking for a perfect group of Christians. Our campus is not looking for people that they can model themselves after and get into behavior right and then they can feel better about themselves. That's not what our campus is looking for. The campus around us, your classmates and your dormmates, they're looking for someone who's authentic about where they're at and who are honest about their struggles but on a journey towards being like Jesus. They don't want the same old, same old of a world of judgment. They want someone who says, it's okay to not be perfect. God loves you, but we're on a journey and I'm not perfect either because our campus doesn't need someone to be better than them to make them feel bad about themselves. Jesus is not interested in that. Instead, Jesus wants us to be real people who do the hard work of having a pure heart. Our campus does not need you to be perfect. They just need you to be real. Because it's not about the outside. It's all about the inside. If you'd all stand with me. So we have a response team here at Chi Alpha, and they're going to actually go to the back this week. So they're going to be in the back corner. So if that's your response team, you can go there. What these people are going to be there for is there are small group leaders and our team members who would love to pray with you. If something is happening in your heart, if God is stirring you, if maybe you need to confess something, they're going to be in the back, and they would love to talk with you and pray with you. So don't, be, don't feel weird about going back there and praying with them. So they're going to be back there during when we go in this last song. If there's something going on in your heart, please go talk to someone about it. We do have two ways to respond here in Chi Alpha, though. So the first is for that group we were talking about. Those of you who have never let Jesus fully cleanse you and pay for your sins, you've never accepted him as Lord, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that tonight. So if you all close your eyes, bow your heads. What I'm going to ask you to do is on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, just an outward sign to God that you're all in. So if that's you, and you need to give your life to Jesus and let him be Lord, on the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three. Thank you. Let me pray for you guys. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, thank you for our new brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God. Thank you for paying for our sins, King Jesus, that we don't have to be perfect, that we don't have to clean up on our own. We love you so much. And now for the second group, everyone can open their eyes because we need to get messy, right? So if you're here tonight 
and you feel like if you're honest, you've been focusing too much on the outside of the cup and the inside of your heart's not where you want it to be. What I'm gonna ask you to do is I'm gonna ask you to raise your hands as well. However, I know sometimes, at least in my own head when I was in college and in high school, situations like this, I'm like, I can't raise my hand, then people are gonna look around me and notice that I'm sinful. It's kind of the point because we're gonna get messy with each other. So if that's you, I challenge you to raise both your hands to God right now and say, Jesus, I need to work on the inside. I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna go into another song, and I encourage you to worship God with everything you've got and to give to him whatever you need. And if you need prayer and you wanna talk to someone, our response team is in the back. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, thank you for your goodness, God. Thank you for cleaning our cup and making it so we don't have to be perfect on the outside. Jesus, I pray for a Chi Alpha to rise up of students that are deeply in love with you, that our hearts are pure and kind and beautiful, that we never feel a need to put on a show, Jesus, but instead, we are just running after you authentically, God. We love you so much. Amen. Amen. Let's worship together.